All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 115 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger in snowy Alberta. And uh, Frank is joining us from a beach in Florida. So, uh, Frank, uh, I could uh, I could Will Smith you right now. Just for that, but uh, I won't because I'm a better human. So, uh, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I was. So, I before we jump into anything, do you think that was real or do you think that was staged? Oh, I think that was. I don't. I I don't know what benefit you'd get from staging that. Yeah, I. In fact, like the only thing is, if it was real, he's just opened himself up to an assault charge. Yeah, and I don't think. Well, it sounds like Chris Rock isn't going to do anything, but. Um, yeah, that was, I don't really understand it. Um, the, and I understand that his wife has, a, a, um, you know, she can't, her hair falls out. So I understand it, but it's a GI Jane joke. It's not even that bad. Like, man, I've heard bald jokes a thousand times. Like, Hey, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if anyone you're used to it. Yeah. Like I, uh, I thought it, it just seemed to go from zero to a hundred pretty quick for no reason. So yeah, Frank, we're, we're definitely not going to be uh Will Smith or Chris rock anything. Uh, happy for you that it's a uh, bomby. You're there of course, for the, uh, the GM meeting, you had the big article last week uh, about LTIR. And, and that I think is, is the hot topic this week amongst the GMs. Yeah. There's no question that it's certainly going to be a big topic of conversation because I think, look, there's a number of teams that, we're really upset with how not just the Nikita Kucherov thing played out. I think a lot of people looked at that as a one-off 
scenario. Like how many times is there going to be a shortened 56 game season where you can line up the injury perfectly? I think people started to get more upset with the Mark Stone injury in Vegas. Not to say that it's not legitimate, but I think a lot of teams felt like Vegas made that trade for Jack Eichel knowing that they had Mark Stone in their back pocket and never actually had any real ideas or push around moving someone from their roster to be cap compliant, that this was always going to be their path forward in terms of trying to get all those guys activated. And the irony in all of it is that as they get through this, well, first off, they may not make the playoffs, which makes it, (laughs) there is no loophole if there is no playoffs. And the other part is, well, you know, you look at their roster and not getting the Dadenoff trade finished. It's a real stretch for them to activate Mark Stone. They'd have to line up everything kind of just right or perfectly. And even then, people are curious if Mark Stone will even end up being activated this season because that back injury really seems to be quite serious. Yeah, like it seems like such an easy solution to just say, okay, and you know what, even even going with the 20-man roster, because, and I understand why, because certain teams, for, for those who don't understand the, the workings of uh, the salary cap, every day you accrue, and you can actually accrue some savings. So some teams that do accrue it over the year at the deadline, they can actually add a guy, you know, who's a little bit more that will help them. So technically you could have a team that was maybe 1.5 over the cap, in salary after the deadline, but it would be an accrued all season long. So your suggestion of a 20 man roster instead of 23, right? So even if it's three guys at league minimum, Frank, there's 2.25 mil, right? So those guys aren't on the roster and there's not like, there's a ton of teams that have three guys at league minimum anyway. So I, I don't see it really being a, a big concern for teams. What's your feel on the GMs wanting to make this paper trade because it doesn't change anything really other than, um, you know, because it's not like you're getting paid suddenly in the playoffs. It's just to, to create more of a fair balance for teams. Yeah, you know, I think the real problem here is as much as they would like to do it and as much as I believe the NHL itself, uh, meaning the head office, feels like there is a need to make some kind of fix I think the big reminder for everyone that's been clamoring for this is it's a material change in the collective bargaining agreement and they can't unilaterally make the change without bargaining with the NHLPA. And the fact that this has come up and the fact that it's been so public, you've sort of broadcasted to the PA that you'd like to do it. Obviously, they would like something in return. That's how bargaining works. And I don't know what, if anything, the NHL is willing to give up in order to make that happen. And on top of that, I'm not sure how much there is an appetite from players to really make something like this happen. You hear Dougie Hamilton complain last year about losing to a team that was a $98 million team. Well, the other part of that is that that means that there's just more players than have, that have been able to get paid. Someone's on LTIR. It's just more space for someone else. At the end of the day, financially, it actually hurts the players to have teams exceeding the cap because it's just more of the owner's 50-50 share that they're cutting into. But at the end of the day, it's jobs. And that's really what matters to players. So I'm not sure how big their appetite is personally to make a change. So that's the other part of it. It's not just a unilateral decision here. It would have to be bargained. And that makes things pretty tough. 
Yeah. Well, most of these guys, if you're on LTR, you've already got your contract anyway. So it's just basically eliminating teams that are going to add more of those guys that are injured, right? The, the money's still going to be in the pot. It just might not be all in 10 people's pockets kind of thing. So I understand, but you're right. Negotiation and bargaining is one thing. So we'll see anything else you think is going to be a significant topic this week. Yeah, I think there's a lot of minor issues and I'm interested to see what else, um, managers bring to the table. I think there's been some talk about, um, illegal line changes is one thing that popped up. I think they're going to touch on the coaches challenge again and, and see, you know, look at the numbers. Is it working? Um, I think there's more minor things to that end. You saw a long change in overtime. We actually talked about it on the daily Faceoff show a couple of weeks ago, Mike McKenna hit on it. I think it was the Anaheim ducks that executed it perfectly player in one door out the other. You know, those are the types of, of little things in the game that they're looking at uh, that I believe popped up onto the agenda. But, um, you know, there's going to be a host of other updates from people external from the NHL or, or I guess internal from hockey ops, external from hockey ops, I should say. Someone like Kim Davis, uh, the NHL Senior Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion. She's got an incredibly long and, and interesting uh, and impressive title but she's going to be giving another update on where things stand with regards to uh, the, the training program that the NHL was supposed to put in place. It was actually supposed to be active for NHL players to begin getting training by the end of March. There's been a delay in that program that's been pushed back until next season. Um, they're also going to get an update from the NHL alumni association and their leader, Glenn Healy, who we had on the pod a few weeks back, Glenn Healy is here and he'll uh, get in front of the GMs to remind them like, look, um, you know, we've seen a number of issues pop up uh, already in the NHL this season. Think of uh, Carey Price was maybe the highest profile player to enter the NHL assistance program. His point is, look, let's start to get these guys help now so that, you know, when they're alumni, they also recognize that you have the ability to step up and ask for help. Uh, as part of, you know, being an NHL player and being an NHL alumni. So, uh, you know, to get in GMs, uh, get in front of them, get in front of players and say, we're here to help you. Uh, it's just another avenue or, or path to, to get people help. And then, Frank, of course, uh, you're likely just going to slip a few pieces of paper under the door to remind them that uh, four in each division should be no crossover for the playoffs, <laughs> right? I'll see what I can do. I think the submissions <laughs> needed to be in a few weeks ago. I know you said it's an easy change. Uh, it would kind of, I guess, it does, does it involve any sort of complex language? Like you're only asking for it if what? If four teams qualify from each division? Yeah. If there's no crossover, everybody stays in their division. Okay. So, and I know that this hasn't happened often, but my response to you is what happens if there is a gap between number seven and number eight? What happens then? Or what happens if one, two, three, four, six are all from the same division? Do you really think that there shouldn't be crossover? But but keep in mind that back in the, I would argue to that, when there used to be three divisions, well, they still have, when there used to be three uh, divisions, remember the uh, the South, that we used to be called the South Lease for the longest time, because you'd win the South Lease and you'd have like the six most points, but you'd finish third. So they've had precedence in that, but here it's, you know what, if you're the number one team and you finish with whatever points to me, I, I now in the East, it's not as big of a deal because the travel's just not the same. 
But you, you can have Pacific teams and central teams that are traveling, you know, way farther now, sometimes based on two points. And I'm just not sure over the course of 82 games, if two or four points ultimately is, is that much of a difference, right? Like should Colorado get punished and suddenly have way more travel because they were the best team? Well, the other part of it is, should they get punished and have a way potentially way better team? But it's but if we kind of go like back in the day, one was always versus right. It's one versus eight, and eight. It to wouldn't seven. be one versus eight. That's my point. Is it could be one versus five now instead of one versus eight, and that's not necessarily fair for having the best record in the entire conference. You should get by theory. If there's eight teams in the tournament, you should get the lowest points percentage team yeah. the lowest team that racked up the lowest points well i'll go i'll go look and i'll have it for next week i'd like to know historically what's the gap between seven and eight i feel like this would be a good article to put on dailyfaceoff.com yeah uh, but you know what i, I have uh, written about it. did you know that the gap frank since the 2000s um only twice has there been a gap between eighth and ninth of more than five points once was six and then another time in two thousand, way back in 2003, it was 13 in the West. And you look at the East this year, it might crush that. We've ne- we've like in 22 years, you've never seen a gap from eight yeah. to nine. And the thing is eight and, and seven and eight right now, Boston and, and Washington are, uh, are very close, right? They're, they're separated right now by three points. Uh, although Boston does have a game in hand. So, um, but to me, the bigger story is why there's such a disparity between the, uh, the eighth and ninth team in the East. And we could say actually that we might've seen this coming. If you base it on last year, there was huge gaps in all four divisions from uh, non-playoff teams to playoff teams. And I, this is going to be something I'm going to watch, Frank. Are we seeing more of a separation in the NHL right now of good because teams? Because you think, because you think teams decide to what sell? Not even sell because look at the East, like the East where they selling in November, that was over. Like I'm wondering if, if we're seeing a lot of really good teams right now and just a lot of bad teams who are like, well, you know what? We're now Philly was a disappointment, but if you look at Montreal, Ottawa, well, New Jersey, you know, how good were those teams? Columbus, maybe we thought would be better, obviously the Islanders, but there's a lot of teams in the East right now that if I look in the off season, how can any of those non-playoff teams significantly improve? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it's funny. We talked all season about how there really isn't much of a playoff race because the eight teams have been decided. But I got to tell you what's been or what is going to really interest me over the next six weeks or so is that race for what the playoff matchups look yes. like. Because Boston has really closed the gap in a significant way. They're right there. And, you know, maybe Tampa, which I, I don't, I don't think it's likely, but Tampa could be in that spot where they finish fourth. I know it's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, the, the East playoff race is not, you're right. The seating race is fantastic for matchups. Uh, you know what uh, the, play, the, the playoff race in the West uh, is definitely, you know, Vegas is, is clinging uh, on the edge uh, right now, them in Dallas, although they Dallas has still got all these games in hand. Now I wonder you know, they're going to have to compress that in a significant period of time, clearly, right? So will will Dallas lose some of that advantage because they're playing so many games in a short period of time here? Yeah, I was going to say Dallas really hasn't, they've, they've done Vegas some favors. They haven't closed the door. Like they've had an opportunity here with a number of games to pull away or pull ahead by a significant margin. They haven't done it. So they're kind of scrapping, scratching and clawing to, to get in that final spot as 
It's still, it's one of the best quotes of the year, by the way, Daryl Sutter saying, whoever plays Colorado is a waste of eight days. You know, it, <laughs> I would love to see, not that I, you know, of course, Dallas fine. They've, they've been in that driver's seat, but I would love to see Vegas get hot because I think if they get everyone on the ice for a playoff matchup, they're one team that if they were to get Colorado, they could make it really interesting, I think. Well, plus then, Frank, uh, if they got all the players on the ice, people would be screaming bloody murder about LTIR. So it would That's, be. <laughs> which, is, which is why we're here. Yeah, it would be a, a big story. Now, speaking of the apps, yeah. you saw them in Minnesota and, you know, Nathan McKinnon goes after Matt Dumba. All, like right now, man, like Colorado, we've seen that, uh, you know, they've they seem to want to be more of a stand up for one another team. Right. We've seen that twice from McKinnon here recently. Minnesota is a big physical team. Nashville, a big physical team like the central. The central might be the like the most physical division in hockey right now. Amongst those top four teams, those top three teams for sure. And then the Blues play a big, heavy game as well. Yeah. And that's that's a big reason why we did this roundtable on dailyfaceoff.com on Friday, where we all submit our cup final matchup. You know, it'd be easy to take the Colorado Avalanche because they've been, I, I'm just not a big fan of picking the chalk. Like, I, you know, it, it'd be easy to say that team, of course, is going to make it to the cup final. If there is one team. <laughs> aside from Calgary that has a real chance to knock off Colorado, I believe it's Minnesota for that physical nature of their game. You know, they are big, they're mean, they're, they're hard to play against. And when they play to that identity that, that made them successful through the first 50 games of the season, I think they're as good as anyone in the West. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed watching them uh, lately. Uh, you know, Bill Guerin, I think he pushes chips all in knowing uh, the uh, the cap hell they're going to be in over the next three seasons. And, you know, Nashville, Tanner Janot, guest uh, friend of the show, uh, you know, became a proud father for the first time. Then he had the Gordie Howe hat trick yesterday, including the, the game winner, like the Preds, you know, the race for there. We talked about in the in the Atlantic, Frank. But you look at St. Louis, Nashville and Minnesota, it's basically identical to, to see who's going to finish second and third and then in the wall card spot. And for them, you know, uh, who's ever the wall card spot there most likely is going to face Calgary. So that's yeah. not an easy test. By the way, you, you saw the Genoa fight. So oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite, you know, little nuggets is I've mentioned the other day on our show that Hayden Hodgson is a guy that signed with the Flyers. He was playing in their AHL affiliate without an NHL contract, spent the last five seasons in the ECHL. A couple of teams had mentioned to me that they thought that Hayden Hodgson is an exact clone of Tanner Janot, and that's why a number of teams were interested in trying to sign him. He gets to the NHL last week, plays his first game in St. Louis, has a goal and an assist in his, in his first NHL game, and then who does he fight on Sunday? The guy that he's been compared to, which, you know, I, I love. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a good comparison right now because uh, Tanner Janot is living his best life right now. Uh, everything is turning up uh, positive uh, for that's, him. That's what everyone has looked at, Jay. Everyone has been going through saying, where can I find the next Tanner Janot? Yeah, well, I think it's a lot harder. You want to find them, I get it, but I, uh, you know, they're rare. I, I think I would say they are definitely uh, rare. Uh, this weekend, Frank, it was uh, some some great performances for certain fan bases and some absolutely ugly ones. If you're a Detroit Red Wing fan, how about the Red Wings? Um, 
I think it was Dimitri Filipic who put it out. The Red Wings have allowed now from zero to 11 goals against every number this year. Like, my goodness. Now they they got shelled 11 to 2 by the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, on the weekend. Uh, they just seem to be playing out the string in Detroit. And then the, the Edmonton Oilers, um, they allowed nine goals to the Flames, all of them five on five, Frank. Since the NHL tracked five on five goals against uh, only once, that was the uh, Penguins season opener in 2017 when they lost 10-1 to the Blackhawks. Did a team allow more than nine five-on-five goals? And I went back to the history of the Oilers. Uh, that tied their franchise record of allowing nine way back in 1986 in 11-9 loss. They allowed nine goals. So it just like you allow a lot of goals, but usually, you know, they're sprinkled in where the other team's power play is shredding you. The Edmonton Oilers, like you look at some of their top guys. Cody Ceci was minus five. He played 12 minutes five-on-five. Nurse, Kane, McDavid, and Drysaddle were all minus four, and they played between uh, 13 and 15 minutes, five on five. Like it was, it was an ugly game for a team that in the first 21 games with Jay Woodcroft, they averaged 1.71 goals against at five on five, which was sixth best in the league. They were doing really good, and then they just fell apart. That was an ugly game on uh, on Saturday night for the Oilers defensively. Yeah, I mean, can we talk for a second about Miko Koskinen, or is that unfair? Like, hundred percent. Yes. Stretch of that five was it five goals on twelve shots. I, I texted Tyler, who was at the game, and I said he looks like a fish out of water. Like, first off, full credit to Johnny Gaudreau because he saw things and did things with the puck that very few guys in this league can. Like, I, you know. Going back to some of those goals, like how did he see some guys on the drop pass? Like you can see his path to the net. I don't know when would that vision would come in because they're so far out of the picture. Special, special plays, but at the same time, costing it. Come on, man, get a save. Like just get so get get a glove on something. Get in front of something. Uh, Frank, uh, there there was a lot of people that were. You know, Miko Kosso when Woodcroft came in, he he played well for a bit and 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 everybody got excited. And I was like, okay, that you know what? Hey, guys can get on runs. But if you look at Miko Koskin and if, and if you're a believer in trends, he is trending the wrong direction. In his last eight games, his save percentage is 877. And it just goes lower if I go to like down to five games and it's a, it's 854. Like it's it's not trending the right direction. And I really wonder if at some point the orders, um, because now under Jay Woodcroft, Mike Smith actually has a higher save percentage now at 900 than Koskinen, who's 898. And remember, Koskin for the first seven games was like at 930 and everybody was loving him. And I'm like, mm, uh, I'll, I'll be a little patient and see. Stuart Skinner's in the American League. I really wonder at some point when they're going to just not be as patient. Like the goalies, no one can say as a goalie in Edmonton that they haven't been given ample opportunity to uh, to find their game. And Koskinen now in his last eight has just trended the wrong direction. Um, you know, Smith came in in a tough situation, but, you know, he's still, well, there's definitely the one goal I think he'd like back for sure. But I would guess they would start Smith tonight against Arizona and we'll see. But at some point, I think when Stuart Skinner's lighting up the American league, like, what are you waiting for? Some points you got to call him up. Don't you? Well, yeah, I think so. And also look, you can't be day to day with hurt feelings anymore. As Chris Pronger used to say, like you got to go with the hot hand and whoever that is, even in that moment, whether it's Skinner at some point, whether it's Smith, you know, I love that Koskinen sort of went, uh, 
he tried to push back against the narrative a few weeks back saying, you know, why is it that you guys say that I can't sustain it for a while? Well, the facts are the facts, mm-hmm. you know, we're in this contract and, and it's, it's almost played its way through and he's never really been able to put it all together for a 30 game stretch or a 20 game stretch. It's decent chunks, decent sample sizes of 10 games followed by 10 horrible games. Yeah. And well, and lately it's not because he's being overplayed because it's been a one, one rotation here now for the last two weeks. So he's never had to play three and four or anything like that. So it's just Miko Koskin. I, I thought you described it perfectly, Frank, because uh, I was sitting in the stands for that game uh, right behind the, uh, the net. Uh, where the where the uh, flames were attacking twice, and uh, the first period with Koskinen, your his position, you're just like, what is going on here? Like the, you mentioned the Kachuk goal and Johnny Gaudreau, yeah, that's nice, but Koskinen had no reason to to be a fish out of water there because there was not any reason to have to be scrambling in the first place. Oh, that is crazy. So were you were you with Tyler on Saturday night? Uh, no, my did uh, you my see g- Tyler? I, you know what? I did not. I text those guys, but they were, uh, they were in a different section and I think they were, they were a little bit more, um, pregame lubricated than I was. So um, See, that, that's why, that's what I was getting at. Cause I was hoping we, I wish we would have had a Tyler cam at some point because he messaged me and said he was having a little fun. And I, I just, I was curious. I wanted to know if he was okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I think they were all right, but yeah, no, we went down. A few of my buddies, one of our good friends' birthdays, so we went out for dinner and went to the game, and then uh, you know went out afterwards. And uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think I ever caught up to those guys. Well, you know how it is; they were on a bus trip, so uh, their bus left at eleven thirty. So I'm guessing when they rolled into Calgary, there's a a few guys are already a few beers deep. Well, I, I said to him, you know. That's going to be a re- really painful bus ride home. I hope it was okay for him. Well, why don't we bring him in for a little uh, fill in the blanks? Uh, Ty, how are you feeling today? I'm uh, I'm doing okay. The voice is a little raspy. <laughs> but uh, we survived. It's always a good time when you can load up a bus of, you know, 40-some-odd Oilers fans and make the quick three-and-a-half-hour drive down to Calgary. It was good. Uh, the game, while the result maybe wasn't what the bus wanted, uh, it was entertaining. Like, you couldn't ask for much more than that from an entertainment perspective. Yeah, most goals in the Battle of Alberta in 32 years. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, I haven't been to, like, a lot of NHL arenas, but when you go to the Saddle Dome, you quickly realize why that city needs a new barn, too, because comparing that to some of the other rinks I've been to, it's uh, they, they could use a new rink is all I'm saying there. When you are in the upper deck at the Saddle Dome, I don't know that there's a worse rink in the league. Oh yeah, and you, you sat, can barely like, see the ice. Was rough. Yeah, yeah was, the the third deck on the one side is not like that's. I give credit for the diehards who sit up there because you almost need binoculars from that. But the funny thing is, the lower bowl I like it because you're closer, right? Like oh, yeah. the new bowls they've made now, they angle it so far. So if you're in row 25, you're, you seem to be farther from the ice surface. Like I still to this day, guys, the first time I went to Old Maple Leaf Garden in Toronto. And and they had glass right at the end of the rink where the glass came up. There was seats right there and there was no mesh. And I remember sitting in there being like, this is unreal. (laughs) But also like how many people are losing chiclets up here? There's got to be some. But that like those old rinks where everything was just closer. I did like it better. Obviously, the amenities now you got wider concourses and food and options like that. But some of the old barns, I think their sight lines were better. You do lose some character when you upgrade your rink. I'll give them that. The Saddle Dome certainly has a lot of character. Yeah. How about this? So I want you guys to picture this. The old Madison Square Garden before they redid it, maybe like six, seven years ago, the press box for visiting media 
was in the fourth row of the lower bowl. Oh, wow. Second, third, and fourth row, row, and you'd be right there. And this was, there was the net, you know, when I went, but for a long time, there was no net. And you, like, you literally were in play. Like, you could be getting a puck right in your lap. All, like, it was in the one of the corners. So, like, you had to have your head on a swivel all game. No, I love it, man. That's great. All right, let's get into fill in the blankets delivered by our friends at DoorDash where the promo code RUNDOWNDD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees. I will certainly not be cooking tonight. I'm using DoorDash. Uh, You guys were mentioning the Red Wings getting blown out by the Penguins. How about this? In the last 31 days, they've allowed nine plus goals three times. That number has only been hit in the NHL six times all season by any team. So they've basically accounted for half the blowouts in the last month, it brought up a few questions. I was reading on Twitter, some wings fans wondering if a coaching change could come. So that is your question. The red wings will blank Jeff Blashill. multiple choice fire or keep Frank. What do you think? Well, I think keep to close out the season. There's no reason to do anything heading into next season though. Um, I will say the keep. Just because it isn't that long ago that he signed his last extension. Yeah. Is it what last year? Like, I mean, it, it hasn't been too long. I'm going to say they keep him, but I think there's been, a, I think there's been some considerable friction there. At least what I've heard between coach and some of the younger players, which I think when you're a team that's building towards something, he's been there a long time. It's not necessarily the friction you want to have. No, I, and that's why I think that uh, he will be gone. And there'll be a new head coach in Detroit next season. Uh, the way they're finishing, um, it, it illustrates because it's not like, you know, they got a bunch of new guys they're going to bring in. They've got some young players, you know, probably the best rookie in the in the NHL this season. And, and they're just getting their teeth kicked in. Um, I, I think that's a sign that maybe there is a there is need for a coaching change. I agree with Frank to do it now. I guess. Well, if you're going to do it in the offseason, you could do it now. But, you know, then you're yeah. just paying a guy you would promote your assistant coach for the sake of it but you could do it either way because to me the wings have like they've rolled over and died in a lot of those games and it's been pretty ugly next question i got for you jason you gave your idea so you're gonna have to dig deep on another one here but if you had the floor at the gm's meeting your proposal to them for something different would be blank frank and i don't have anything um it's not like even a not, little rule. Like I would take well, up the trapezoid. For, I'd be all over that. Okay. For me, like I, I would just change the way the standings are structured. I think the parody is nice, but I think they've jumbled the standings in a way. It's also not interesting anymore. We've seen a number of years now. This is not the first where most of the teams, even with the loser point are out pretty early. And it's so hard to make up Brown. I really think you got to go to a three, two, one, zero system i've been literally writing about it for a decade and it's it's just not it's not something they're willing to consider they like where it is i don't it has no chance of success but that's what i would do i would uh one small tweak um if a guy's helmet falls off he doesn't have to leave the ice surface <laughs> yeah that that that's a new one that's driven some people crazy recently so, so I what like one. what's Jay, what's your like 
what makes you say it? Like, is there one incident that you, you, well, the, the, the overtime, the, the overtime game, Edmonton, Colorado, Kadri uh, grabbed nurse in a headlock and popped his helmet off. He's in the offensive zone. So now nurse has to leave the ice and it leads to Colorado scoring the game winning goal. Like um, guys are playing. And I understand the theory that they think, but you usually like guys will fight now. And if their helmet comes off, they still let them fight. Yeah. So you, you can't let the guys play like guys don't take pucks or sticks in the face very often. So I just, to me, even if you want to wear like, or I'll wear it, if somebody else dislodges your helmet, then you shouldn't. Now, I guess if a guy's wearing it loose and it just pops off, but I just felt it's, it's such a, a rare situation, but you get it in the playoffs and you're in the defensive zone and you lose your helmet on the long change. And now you're in the second period and you got to go all the way out or you're in overtime. I think that's going to cost a team a game on, on something that I'm not sure is that unsafe. Fair enough. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I just thought it was one of those rules that actually made sense. Like we're so concerned about players and head injuries. Like there are guys that want to get through shifts and it's like, you shouldn't be going into the corner and making a play without a helmet on. It's, it's not 1994 anymore. It's not 1978. Like you probably should be wearing one. It's an interesting debate. Uh, last or third one I got for you here, Colorado Avalanche right now, they're sitting at 98 points in their first 66 games. Uh, the record since the salary cap era came in is Tampa Bay with 128 point regular season. The others in the top three, you'd have Detroit from 0506 when they put up 124, Washington from 0910 when they put up 121. So your question, Colorado will finish the season with blank points, Jason. Well, I'm looking what I got 16 games left. So that's a maximum of uh, 32 points. The, I think the Avs, their, their head coach even said, you know, he split up Taves and Makar here the other day. Just he's going to experiment with some different things. Uh, I'll say they win uh, 10 more games, go 10 and six. So uh, they'll finish with like 119 points because one of those will probably be an OTL loss. All right. I'm going to go with 122. 122. That's pretty much what they're on pace for. They're on pace for 121.75, I believe. And that would put them third best since the salary cap era. Rolling into our uh, points bet bonus question here, brought to you by our friends at Points Bet Canada. Check them out. Ontario, they are coming. Uh, while I was looking up some different numbers, like where Colorado would rank on the list, I got into sorting by uh, who's had the most points total since the salary cap era began. So your points by bonus question is a trivia question. Do either of you know off the top of your head, which franchise has the mo has accumulated the most points since the salary cap era, Frank? Uh, my guess would be Detroit. Jason, you were not in your head. I think you it's, it's Pittsburgh or San Jose or Boston. It is, uh, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, 1,626. They're 18 points up on the second place Washington Capitals, actually, oh. which oh. is something interesting. When you look at uh, which who's had the best individual seasons since the cap era, the Capitals make up three of the top five, actually. They're, uh, yeah, they've, they've been the only, or there's only been four teams reached the 120 point mark, and Washington is two of them. So some interesting stuff there. I thought I'd throw your way to wrap up another edition of Fill in the Blank delivered by DoorDash. They're, they got Crosby and Ovechkin, and the, uh, I guess it's lived up. They've both been uh, pretty good. The Pens, of course, with uh, four Stanley Cup appearances, three wins. Well, they also have only missed the playoffs once in the salary cap era, and it was the first year. So pretty <laughs> yeah. incredible streak. Um, by the way, I wanted to mention, since we talked last week about 
the Nars Trophy and about Roman Yossi and the season he's having. We mentioned on the pod Roman Yossi at plus 350 to win the Nars. Since we talked about it, it's down to plus 275. Oh, yeah. I think they figured out. Are we moving lines, Tyler? (laughs) Might be, man. It's... uh... He's it's been an unbelievable run for for Roman Yossi and 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 Frank, whether it's fair or not, because Kale McCarr still had an unreal year and Victor Hedman has too. I, I do believe it's something if you finish stronger. I think sometimes that can benefit you in the eyes of voters naturally because they look, hey, you know, the games are like this, the goals per game and everything. It gets a little bit harder in crunch time down the stretch. And uh, that's my, you, my big thing is what if you're doing and playing your best when the games are a lot harder to win, I think it bumps you up, at least on my ballot. And it doesn't take, you know, if we're talking specifically about Yossi, it doesn't take anything away, Jay, from what Makar has done. He's been he's going to have 30 goals as a defenseman. You know, he's awesome. he's setting he's setting the franchise record in terms of goals. Uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. And it's been incredibly impressive, but I'm sorry, if Yossi has a 100-point campaign, I'm going to have a hard time voting for Kale McCarr because it just, it, it hasn't happened. It's been, you know, 30-some years since we've seen this. Yeah, well, and, you know, speaking of guys who are, who are getting hot again, um, it seems maybe odd to say it, but uh, you look at Connor McDavid now, um, 15 of his last 19 games, he has um, two points or more. And uh, he's 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 got a chance tonight to get to uh, to 100 points. We need three points. We can never nowadays uh, for a game with McDavid, three points doesn't seem like a big reach. You know, that would give him five. He goes becomes only the 19th guy to have 100 points five times in his career, Frank. But the difference is he was way younger than them. Like, I think Connor McDavid has a legit shot to join Lemieux and Gretzky as the only three players to have uh, 10 or more seasons of 100 points. Okay, so I have a question for you that's going to be a little bit scandalous. How do you size up Connor McDavid's year? Has it been what you thought it would be? Has it been a little bit disappointing? Has it been incredibly impressive? Like, I came in with such high expectations. You know, I really thought this was the year that he was going to get to 150. And it's not all about points. He's on pace for 122. The way he started, And then there was just that lull for so long. I was kind of waiting for him to drag the Oilers out of what they were going through. It never really happened. I'm kind of having a tough time. I'm not slagging him at all. I'm not taking anything away from him. I know that it's not on him. Everything's on him. Um, How do you size up his year? Like, what do you, how would you rate it? Well, it is fair that because if his season kind of mirrors the orders, if you look at their first start, they were 21 or 16 and five, and he had 40 points. Drysdale had uh, 41 at that time. But then for a 15 game stretch, and it's funny because it was 15 games spread out over two months because there was postponements and everything over that 15 game stretch, both Drysdale and McDavid were under a point a game. Now, granted, it wasn't like they were under it a lot. Uh, uh, McDavid had uh, fourteen or th- yeah, 13 points in 14 games, and Drysaddle had 13 points in 15 games. So for a lot of players, they'd still be up there, but by their standards and McDavid's, it was definitely lower. And and I, I agree with you, Frank, because you know they were so hot uh, early on, you felt like, hey, they might push 130 at least. And, and even we were talking 140. 150 is so ridiculous. Like, there's been very few guys to do it. But it, it does seem like a 
kind of changed. Now McDavid has been uh, has been quite good again in producing points and, and not giving up uh, you know goals or anything like that, other than the last game. But um, so you're right. I think it's he set the bar so high that now he's going to score 122 points, and it's almost going to feel like well that was an average year for McDavid, which is crazy to say. But I yes. do it, you know, like he's raised the bar so high, even from last year when he had 100 points in 56 games, that 122, as crazy as it sounds, because he's still going to lead the league in scoring, people are going to be like, oh, I was expecting more. So what would you, how would you answer? Has he met expectations? Has he exceeded them? Has he? Well, he wouldn't have exceeded him. I, I think at the end of it, if, if McDavid finishes, you know, with 120 some points, and you, you know, you look at his goal for against five on five, and, and that has improved. So you would say, hey, you know what? I, I think it's been okay. The funny thing is, really, it's because the Orders' power play for three months wasn't very good, and and that's because his five on five point totals were, were fairly similar. But his, his power play totals just went down a lot. And because that's where a lot of guys who, who, are, who will get their kind of their bonus points, right? Like you're not going to be a 130 point, 140 point guy unless you're getting a lot of power play points. Like Lemieux had 70 power play points one year when he had 199 points, 70. Or maybe it was even 85 now that I think about it. I might have to go back and check that. But you know what? To really put up high totals, you're going to have to score in the power play. And for three months, the order's power play was under 20%. Right. Like not awful, but by their standards, not good. So I would say, you know, McDavid's season at the end. Now, his regular season, because the playoffs, if they win, then it doesn't matter how many points they get. But I think his regular season would would be one that was, I'd say, a little bit of a roller coaster, some big highs and then some some lows like for him low, which, which is still high for most people. Right. Yeah. We're saying his like a point a game run is low, yeah, like which is crazy. To say. Stretch. Yeah. 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 Now. um, when you look at the Oilers power play, when it went through that lull, was it purely injury related? Like how much did they, you know, it feels like Nuge really changes that look. Well, I, I, I could see that, but then of course I crunched all the numbers up until he returned here. And in the, in like the 36 games, he played 25 of them. And when he played the power play was 19.7. When he didn't play, it was like 16. So it impacted it. But even in the 25 games when he was there, their power play wasn't at the stretch. So I think now that he's back combined with, you know, they've, they've got their juice going again on their power play. They move it around. And the other thing is, I know people always say, well, you got to do more than have dry settles the shooter. Well, no, he's the best shooter. And so when he's shooting more often, their power plays better. And during the, the lull, McDavid and Drysaddle didn't shoot the puck as much as they normally do. And so when they shoot the puck, their power plays better. It's all the numbers back it up. It's not. And, and I people are like, oh, other teams were taking it away. And I'm like, other teams aren't taking it away. I'm sorry. I don't buy that because if they would have taken it away, they wouldn't have waited two and a half years to figure it out. The, the order players, there was a little bit of stubbornness. Drysaddle missed the net a little bit more and they got unlucky. They hit, you know, there was a stretch of games where they hit four goalposts in a row on the power play. So you're like, Hey, if some of those go in your power play percentage in a small window goes up three, four, 6%. So, but I think ultimately now that they're back to dry subtle shooting and there's more movement, I felt their power play just got too static. It was standing still and, and teams were really starting to press them and it didn't work. But Nugent Hopkins coming back, I think from a, comfort level gives them some confidence, but their power play had started to come around a little bit, even before he came back. So one of my bold predictions from the start of the year was that the Oilers would have the best 
power play in the salary cap era. That's not going to happen. Um, but when you look at this year, and I know we touched on some, some goal scoring and some ridiculous totals earlier in the show, I, like I'm telling you, we haven't talked enough about the Florida Panthers and their ability to score goals. They're on pace for 334 in the regular season, over four per game. And the record in the salary cap era is 319. So they're maybe 15 goals north of the record. This team has been, I know, I know that Jay, they're your, they're your pick. They're your, they're your squad. Uh, they've got like, they're cooking. They've got something going. Oh man, Florida and, and the players they added. And to me, my only concern still about the cats is Ekblad. Right. Like to lose your best defenseman, um, if he comes back for the playoffs, then great. But if he doesn't, even in the first round, there's no easy matchup for Florida in the first round. Right. Like you look at all the playoff teams. There isn't there isn't an easy matchup like, like no offense to, the, to Dallas or Vegas if they're the wildcard team. You know, that, that's an easier game for Colorado than anybody that Florida is going to have to face, whether it's Boston or Washington or heck, it might be Tampa or Toronto, for goodness sakes, because you don't know what, what's going to happen there. But Florida is like and, and they're doing it. Their, their power play is good, Frank, but it's not like crazy. Right. Like, you know, you you, st- you mentioned about the orders might have the best like like last year they set the or sorry, in 2020, they set the salary cap record of twenty nine point five. The Toronto Maple Leafs are twenty nine point two right now. Right. Like they might be able to set the new uh, standard on, on the power play and, and the orders power play for as bad as it was for three months. It's still third at twenty six point three. But Florida, Frank, to me, is their five on five scoring is they're so much better than everybody else and where the majority of the game is played that that's a huge advantage for them but i still think if you ask florida they'll want their power play to get a little bit better because as tampa proved the last two years yeah it's great to to be great five on five and that helps but having a good power play usually can put you over the top when you're a decent five on five team yeah but i think i read something last week that pointed out it doesn't necessarily matter what your power play is clicking out in the playoffs it's, it still ends up being even strength scoring that that can help set you apart. Um, you mentioned Ekblad, high ankle sprain. Yeah. Those are tricky. Like they it, are. It, I, I don't think he's going to be ready for game one. I, I, I heard mid to late round one. Yeah. See that. And, and honestly, Frank, like that, imagine that like two years in a row, your number one defenseman's not there in the postseason. Right now, hopefully he gets there. But, you know, I go back to when Colorado lost Eric Johnson, then they lost all their goalies in the bubble. Like part of winning is still a lot of just luck of timing of injuries. Right. And so I I just hope for Florida's sake that and I hope it for every team. I always want the teams to be healthy come playoff time. Like I know guys can play nicked up. That's different. But, you know, Aaron Eckblad in your lineup, even at 80 percent, is still better than your other options. Yeah, There's a difference between hurt and injured. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. High ankle sprain sprain is injured. Like that's, that's hard to, that's a tough injury. There's no exact precise timeline and it can really, really be painful. And it lingers, can linger for a long time. So it's uh, brutal. Frank, uh, don't uh, suffer any high ankle sprains jumping in and out of the pool this week at the uh, GM meetings. And I'm curious to see what uh, the LTI, of course, is going to be the big story. But you talked about it. Even if they want to change it, it's a bigger issue than that. So uh, I'll be curious if if we have anything substantial that's going to come out with any like doesn't sound like anything that's going to be changed. Obviously, is nothing for this season. Maybe next year. Best case scenario. Yeah, I, I would say it's they've got a lot of work to do. 
Awesome. Well, Frank, uh, put on the sunscreen. We will talk to you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.